Evolution Project. Tonight we've got Trent Brown John with us and we're going to go through a few things regarding his, his sporting journey. We're also going to delve into looking at the, I guess, the art of PE teaching um, and have a chat about a few other things. So thanks for joining us, Trent. Uh, could you get us started by just going through your sporting journey and uh, where it's led you to? Not a problem, Christian. Thanks for having me. Yeah, I guess uh, I had a younger brother and we played a, a lot of sport together and that probably helped in, in some degree in the fact that both my, my parents were um, passionate sports people, both as competitors when they were um, younger, but also um, watching the game as well. So really engulfed in, in sport a, a fair bit and that probably helped that, that journey along. I guess um, growing up in an Anglo-Saxon type home, it's really cricket and footy. Uh, cricket in summer and footy in winter. In, in, in basketball, we were lucky enough to have a, a holiday house um, down at the beach and had a caravan down there. And on the, on the Moynton Peninsula, we're uh, heavily involved in swimming and, and, and surfing as well. So um, I guess a bit of a, a mixed mixed sporting background. I never just sort of you know, concentrated on one. But, you know, uh, through school as well, cross-country athletics as well. And um, going to an all, I went to an all-boys school in, in Geelong where um, it was very heavily sport focused. We had a lot of PE teachers who were ex-AFL footballers or ended up being one an AFL coach at the Western Bulldogs for a time there. So um, really he heavily, like just through my, my peers and so on, was heavily influenced with sport. I guess with my sport, I, I worked hard. I probably concentrated more on footy and cricket at the end, but worked hard. It was never good enough, obviously, to make it to the any decent level, I guess. But... Um, I'm pretty tough on myself in that. We had the work right there, but just never had the, the talent to play. Um, but as I said, that at school, just we played sport all the time at lunchtime and represented the school. And it was quite an honour to you know, pull the school footy jumper on or you know, wear the school colours and in sporting events and play against other, other schools where there's some really, really strong rivalries um, as well. Um, as I said, I played um, cricket, a variety of clubs. I both footy started at Werribee and then cricket probably more I, I deem that more social than anything, and I probably still do, even though I probably had more success, personal success in cricket. Um, I sort of cruised around and had a bit of a laugh at training, but did okay. It's quite funny. I sometimes think that, that when I take things too seriously, it affects my performance, and I know some people are very different in that regard, whereas cricket was sort of laid back and, and just, I guess, let the I'm a bowler in cricket and let the ball do all the, all the talking, if you will, and just I'd do okay. So... Um, and then <clears throat> I'm still playing football and cricket. I, I play cricket now and again, club Preston Druids in the, in the which are now in the Northwest Cricket Association. Um, and then Super Rules, so the old timers um, out, out at Craigieburn. And it's a lot of sport for me has been the social aspect of it. Still, so good enough to make it elite. I would have loved to. And I'm a very passionate sports person, but yeah, I love the social aspect of, that, that sport provides. Yeah, great. And obviously, um, you ended up going into a profession of PE teaching. Uh, can you just take us through a couple of reasons why why your journey led that way? Uh, one, I needed a job, Christian. But um, obviously, I'll be honest, when I was in year 10, I did work experience. I did two weeks. Um, and work experience was pretty big back then. Now, it's, 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 really, it's really done in school. But work experience, I did a week at a, at a physio. And that's what I wanted to be. I wanted to be involved in sport. I thought, if I can't make it as an athlete, or in, in a sporting organisation, then, then I thought a physio would be one way to, to go about it. And I probably, and then the second week was teaching. And I, I didn't like it. 
I thought it was really, uh, and it's it's a bit it's a bit of a weird one because you can't like you, whether you do work work experience, you can't really be hands on either as a physio or a or a teacher. So you just sort of you just do odds and ends job. Um, you know, clean. I remember one day I was cleaning curtains at the physio joint. I mean, what can you do? I can't do any practice on, you know, giving someone a massage or as a as a year ten. So um, I wasn't a massive fan of teaching to be honest. I always wanted to be a physio, and then. I didn't get enough. My school wasn't good enough to get into to physio. Then after first year, actually, I came my studies and got offered a, a place done and, and turned it down and finished off a, a sports science degree. And in the midst of doing that sports science degree, I, I um, was doing a bit of tutoring on the side. And I, fe- I found, I guess, the feedback was really, really positive. I thought, oh, maybe that's a, a career path. And I, re- I really enjoyed it and then did a, a diploma of education after completing my sports science degree. And... The rest, as they say, is history. So I guess it's a way of, of continuing on to be, a, um, I guess, being involved in in sport and you know and and the coaching side of thing, which which I think we'll probably talk about at some stage. Yeah. Um, in this podcast. Yeah, definitely. So you mentioned uh, you obviously sort of, I guess you you sort of fell into into that that career path and um, as a way to continue your involvement with sport. So I guess how long have you been teaching for, and what have you seen? have been the major changes from now uh, and from, I mean, from all the way back, back then to now. Oh, thanks. It wasn't that far long ago, <laughs> Christian. I was, I was waiting for that. Um, I've got to think now, I've probably taught for nearly oh, 18 years, I think now. So it's been quite some time. It goes pretty quick. Um, so before you know it, Christian, you would have taught for 18 years. Just wait and see. Um, oh, probably three things that probably come to mind. One's um, with parents. I probably when I first started where, where parents were a little more, I guess, standoffish, I thought, and I probably don't want to use the word respect, but maybe it is respect that they respected the, the teacher a little bit more and sort of respected their decision. Rather, I probably find now a little bit, it's the parents a little bit more involved with, and it's not, not always a bad thing, but involved in terms of, you know, if the student's done something wrong or they'll back the student rather than, than the teacher. And so and I reckon that's changed a fair, a fair bit. Probably paperwork. It's probably not not a great ad for anyone wanting to get into teaching. Probably paperwork's increased a fair bit in terms of, you know, in terms of planning and, and signing things off and uh, keeping up to date with that sort of things. But then in terms of, I guess, from a coaching perspective as well, technology. So my first top pair was more of a yeah, teach PE class, off you go. Whereas um, I just use the use equipment, whereas now there's technology that's fantastic, like in terms of the theory side of things. And as a VCE teacher, using GPSs and... And a lot of this is due to the fact that um, obviously technology has increased, but also the cost of the technology has decreased. So it's accessible for, for schools, et cetera. Um, using heart rate monitors where students can measure intensity just gives them a better understanding of, of I guess, with the concept of intensity and heart rate, et cetera. And they've actually got a heart rate um, strapped to them. They say, oh, they run fast. Oh, my heart rate goes up. Why is that, et cetera. And even um, giving feedback via video. So most students have phones these days. Obviously, with video technology, um, where students can either you know, video and, and get feedback in that regard, or there's, there's um, incredibly cheap ads where students can film themselves and look at the, the um, have a replay of themselves or delayed delayed video where they look at a replay of themselves completing a, a set skill. Fantastic. And I guess you might have sort of brushed on a few issues that, that you might bring up for this next question, but what have you seen as some of the major challenges uh, in today's age with, as a, as a peer teacher, and you might even want to brush on uh, coaching as well. Uh, yeah, and I probably did 
touch on a few of those those areas before, but um, I'll write at the moment, besides obviously with with COVID and so on, and and trying to run a, a PE class remotely, really, really difficult. Um, obviously, the coaching side of things too, which I'm sure you can attest to, and you know, making sure that the, the students are motivated. And that probably brings me to, like that is overall, I think students aren't as motivated as they used to be. I did touch on when I was at school, a lot of times we'd play football, even in year 12, we'd kick the footy and have little matches at lunchtime. And I walk around, I've taught a variety of schools, but it happens in primary, but secondary, it's pretty rare to see, you know, students having little games at lunchtime and so on. It's, it's, it's very different. A lot of that comes down to, I guess, with, with again, we spoke about technology. Can be, it's a bit of a double-edged sword. There's, it's great benefits, but I think, too, it's got its, its negative points as well. I, always, I remember there was a, a newspaper uh, clipping once that it showed that, you know, 20 years ago where, where there's a, a, a mum yelling at the door to tell someone, to, the child to come inside and stop playing outside, where it's now, it's it's more of getting trying to get children outside, and that, and that dynamics changed a fair bit. So, um, just trying to keep students motivated and excited, and their their attention spans on as long as it used to be. It's more what's in it for me rather than just giving things a go. And as I'm probably touched on a little bit before, in terms of parent expectations as well, whereas they're probably more likely to side with the with the student rather than the staff members. So. I know when I was at school, and I've got a son myself, that I'd be more so. My parents and I'm probably the same too with my son. That just give things a go, give it a try. You never know, you might like it. And it's all about effort rather than, you know, I don't want to do it. Okay, we'll back you up. In that. I'm not a massive fan of that. Yeah, and, and I guess another another thing that I know we've had a chat about previously is is that it seems that there are a lot of kids today that find it really challenging to take on feedback and to deal with, you know, those, to deal with the, those setbacks and letdowns. How do you think uh, parents, coaches, teachers can sort of support kids to build that resilience? Because I feel personally from what I've seen that that it seems to be quite a rare thing, a rare quality that you find in, in kids today. Oh, resilience is so important, <clears throat> both as a, as a coach and like I really try to still resilience into my son or, or, or to um, my players or to my students um, and you're right like it, it is it's a it's a trait or a, a skill that it's evidence less and less evident with, with students these days i think really important even parents it's more parents too they've got to be involved with this too so um, they've got to understand that feedback isn't always negative sure it might be oh, this or wrong or that wrong but about how, how can i get better you know how can i and, and in terms of Feedback. We go into the real world, whether it be you know, on the sporting field or into a, an office when we're in our 20s, we go to uni, we're going to get setbacks and um, all the time, just in life, whether it be relationships, um, you know, missing out on a job, um, um, illness, death. I don't want to sound morbid, but it's true. There's, there's a lot worse things than being told, oh, you didn't hit the, the tennis ball correctly or you need to work on this or you missed out on the game or... It happens. It's life. So I think one of the good things about sport is it provides us with a, um, a lot of lifelong lessons that we can use outside of the sporting field. Um, as I said, yeah, feedback negative, and students, both students, coach, um, sorry, students, parents, and um, need to understand that it's about you. It's about learning from mistakes. Good athletes do that. Good athletes learn from mistakes. Like no one's perfect. Um, the old classic Michael Jordan sort of. 
he never hit every shot he put up and he, he learned from, you know, he didn't hit every buzzer beater, but he learned from them and it made him stronger and it made him a good athlete. I guess little things about work, I said before about working hard and it's really important and both parents and, and coaches and teachers to encourage, you know, students or children to take positive, really, really important thing. Um, and let, let kids fail. Like it's, we're going to, that, that's important. Parents and, and I'm probably guilty of it sometimes myself, but being able to say no even. Like there's some there's some students that um, kids who aren't, who aren't told that they're, they're never told no. Like I want this, oh, okay, no worries. Um, mm-hmm. Sort of reminds me of that character out of uh, Willy Wonka. I don't know if it's a Veruca Salt or Bola Beauregard. The one who wants the uh, yeah, one of them <laughs> who wants wants everything. Oh, daddy, I want it now. And it's life doesn't work that way, unfortunately. So I think parents should be uh, let children fail. And that's how they learn. That's how you, that's how you gain you know gain resilience and learn, learn that particular quality. Most elite athletes, like most elite athletes, they've got tales of failures or setbacks in their life. It makes them stronger, makes them yep. hardened. So, you know, you never see, it's rare to see, you know, oh, this person was born in a silver spoon in their mouth. I know from um, a couple of AFL coaches who remain out nameless, they'd rather draft a player from, I guess, from, you know, a bit of a hardened background rather than someone who's maybe who's come from a bit more of a privileged background. So like yeah. if they had a choice and they, they weren't sure, you know, which one do we pick? That might be the, their indecision. So, um, yeah, I think the key thing is, yeah, just being able to say no to, to, to kids and let them fail. It's not great. No one wants to say it. Like, you don't want your kids to be hurt, but sometimes you've got to say no and sometimes you've got to let them fail and, and it's a life lesson. Yeah, no, so and I think I think it's interesting the point you made about um, the you know back, backgrounds of kids that that have sort of made it and there's there's so many stories across every sport you can probably think of um, of those you know those kids that that grew up having it, you know having it tough and and they sort of succeeded because they needed to succeed. Um, so I think that's a really really good lesson. It's really that fight or flight response, if you will. So I look at the sport of boxing like you never hear. The, you know, someone who went to, not there's anything wrong to go into, I went to private school, but usually here, you know, they went, you know, tough and, you know, their, um, you know, mum or dad struggled to put food on the table and they value, they value, I guess, the their successes a little bit more. I'm yeah. not putting, I shouldn't put everyone in that bath, no, I'm not, but it's just sometimes, I guess it's a bit of a, a common theme, if you will. Yeah, yeah, no, definitely. And you sort of brushed on it. Um, on the coaching side of things, you've obviously you've had a bit of experience of coaching AFL and at a range of different levels. What's your experience has been, particularly at a, at a grassroots level, which I believe you're, you're coaching at the moment with your son? Yeah. And what, what is it from, this might be quite a naive question, but what does a, a session look like at a grassroots AFL um, club? for, you know, let's yeah. say a 10-year-old. My son is 10, so spot on. Um, yeah, um, I, I guess, like, you know, if you... I'll probably touch on what I've... I've, I've coached from... done some work at TSC. Well, it used to be called TSC Cup, which is, I guess, the elite competition of AFL <clears throat> before they get drafted. Um, and that's all about development um, and trying to provide pathways and make them the best possible footballer for the AFL or VFL. And that's the idea there. Obviously, done a fair bit of coaching school sports as well has some success but end of the day most fun or most rewarding is working like with the, the juniors i mean i'm a level two AFL coach but either I, I you know i don't receive a, a 
an a cent for it, like I do it for the, the love of it, and, um, and as do a lot of parents, like they do it for the love of it and you know, to support support their their um, and also their, their generally their child's thing as well. It's all based on volunteers and um, it probably it does it varies in stand in terms of type of coaches, and I get that. Like some people go, oh, you know, you're really good with kids. Well, that's my job. I do it every day. So some people might be working the factory and bang, they knock off. Now at four thirty and come and coach the under tens for an hour at five o'clock, and I've got the utmost respect for them. So a lot of people are old school, and that they they I guess do what they've they experienced in the past too. I guess one thing I try and do, even with my juniors, is it might sound a little bit weird over the top, but I try and run it like I would when I was working at say the dean level, like not so much the skill side of things, but warm up. So we'd have a dynamic warm up, and then do some sports specific work where it's all about uh, similar type movement patterns and, and just getting touch on the ball and working on some basic skills just to warm up get the you know the blood flowing that sort of thing we all know the benefits of a warm up um at the at the, that level it's all about fun like i just really emphasize fun like if i can, if i see everyone win or lose everyone walks off the ground with a smile on their face a bit hard and sometimes the kids take it to heart when they lose of course but after training having a bit of fun I try and incorporate a lot of games into my, into um, my training as well. If I just do skills and skills and skills, I'll be bored out of their brain. So make some sort of a little bit of a mini competition and, and make it as hands-on as possible. So no good having like one line with 20 kids in the line and they, don't, they touch the ball three times. It's all about touch, 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 touch. That's how they're going to develop their skills. I guess in terms of like, if you look at, it's about, it's, I reckon sport overall is about fun. I don't think, even if you're playing at the elite, obviously at the elite level, you might do a little bit more work on, you know, positioning as well. You might maybe might work with the backs and mids and and forwards. Whereas I'm probably going off a bit of a tangent here, but you know, with with my um the juniors, I don't say, oh, let's work on you know some backline stuff and just simple rules because I like to rotate the players through different positions as well. Um, it's all about I guess teaching the basic skills, but in fun fun games at the end. And then I do try and do a cool down at the end, but sometimes the games I think I was a couple minutes left in this game. Um, make sure you have a stretch when you get home. I know that's not best practice, but um, they're having a great time. And sometimes you've got to make a judgment: do I pull rain this rain this drill in to do a couple of sit down and do some straight stretches, or let them enjoy the last couple of minutes? So I guess it's all about, as I said, it's all about skills or, um, or drills. I should say that, uh, that do develop their skills, but also that have that they're having fun at the same time. Yeah, yeah, and I guess. Um... You, as you mentioned, a lot of most of the coaches at that level are parents, and you're going to have, you know, a, a wide range of of experience levels. Um, so, sort of a two part question here. Um, firstly, what sort of support do do coaches get at the grassroots level? Maybe I'm not sure if it comes where where it comes from. At, you know, if it filters down through the AFL, and they've got some sort of system or something like that. And also, what are what are the key focuses for that sort of support? I know from my point of view working you know with football and the round ball type there's a you big can call it football christian that's okay yeah there's a big focus on or i guess you could call it the ecological model like learning through through games and game sense that's probably the, the big thing at the moment what would you say is is sort of the the push particularly at a young age and what support is provided to those coaches all right, so in terms of an AFL level, so all coaches need to have done, or they need a working with children check, which is obviously a, a given, working with children, but everyone's going to do a, a compulsory co coaching course. 
Um, most of that, or oh, probably half of it's done physical capacity. So you go to a local ground. So um, I'm probably talking from the Essendon District Football League. They're based out of Windy Hill. And anyone who hasn't done the course will go and do a session or two um, there. But also there's the, the online component as well, or the theory side of things. And um, that needs to be updated every year. A lot of it's got some, um, I guess, some skills, I guess, the structure of a, a, how a session lo would look, just like we spoke about before. Um, different drills as well, for obviously, for catering for different age groups. So it's not really specific. Like, you could have an under-16 coach there compared to under-9s, where it's obviously um, you're dealing with, obviously, a vast skill set there, like under-9s. Yep. Some of them have barely played football, where the under-16s, there might be you know, some some kids there who, who are in, you know, uh, TSA Cup, or well, it's not TSA Cup anymore, but elite pathways already. So... It varies a fair bit in terms of you know, what sort of you know, warm-ups and drills you're going to be doing in that regard. Yeah, some clubs have coaching coordinators as well to support the coaches. As I probably alluded to before, that yeah, most, most coaches aren't, don't come from a teaching local level. You know, just whatever their job might be. You know, like there's a, been a, there's, you know, a, people have a variety, white collar, etc. At the end of the day, they put their hand previous. I've got the utmost respect for them. Like they, without them, the clubs wouldn't run, the game wouldn't run, the, and the... Um, the parents who've got their kids involved, they wouldn't, their kids wouldn't be playing. So they do a, a, um, a hell of a lot of, of, of great work. Uh, but the AFL is pretty supportive. They've got a coach hub on, online as well, where you can dwell on age-specific ones too. And probably in terms of not just drills, but one thing they do concentrate on with their courses too is like they look at the quality in, in, as well. So until a certain age group, boys and girls can play in the same teams. Um, and girls' football's come a long way. Probably another another a topic for or a chat for another time. But um, I've got um, again. I, I mean, it's fantastic. Um, but uh, look at racism. And one other thing too is is looking at mental health and and concussion as well. So concussion, the coaches are um, up to date with the, I guess the the rulings or, or the um, if someone you know comes off the ground and says, oh, I'm feeling really dizzy. I know that happened. Um, last year, where either a player come off the ground and said, I, I, I feel really dizzy. I don't mean to be rude, but you're done for the day. I can't risk it. I can't risk your your um, health in that, in that regard. So, so is it, yeah, it's a variety of, I guess, of the, the coaching courses um, that the, the coaches have to attend um, cover a variety of, of content. Awesome. And um, I guess another big thing on, on my side of the fence is um, there's a, a really big push around creating a, a club philosophy or a club culture. What have your experiences been on, on the, I guess, the AFL side of, side of things? Is this something that is focused on or is it, or is it not, not a real focus? It's, yeah, it's probably not, it's probably not a, a junior level. I know at the level two um, AFL coaching course, pretty limited spots to get into. They do do a, a, a fair bit of work on, on developing. So they do probably do concentrate to more the elite level. Um, we are working with, say, high, like older um, children or older juniors and then going into senior-type pathways as well with key coaching. I always think my philosophy, my philosophy is like, I guess it's ever-evolving, ever ever-evolving, my, my philosophy, and probably does change a little bit, you know, whether I'm coaching, say, you know, 18-year-old boys compared to 10-year-olds. So it does change, but then it's also similar in, in some ways too. I always think sort of like, you have to think with your philosophy, what what are your, what your coaching objectives are you now for that particular team? And as I said, like most coaches probably just coach one though, coach the juniors or they coach the, the school footy team or they coach the seniors down the road, wherever it might be. So mine does change a little bit. 
Um, the core values that, that will inform how you coach and then the approach you take towards coaching your players. So again, the approach I take towards, as I said, um, one team might be very different to another team just due to a variety of obviously reasons, one being their, their age and their, their current skill set. But end of the day, like I, I, from a personal um, point of view, like I want football to be a fun experience for both young men and women. Like I don't want to say young, I think for young men and women um, to develop their skills, confidence, and we'll probably talk about this a little bit later. I know I'm going to guess, but make sure they've got a love of physical activity. So do I want everyone to go on and play at Yeah, it'd be awesome, but it's not going to happen. I get that. And hopefully they do too, but they might even go on to play senior football. But as long as they get a love of, of sport and physical activity and, um, and understand the benefits of it as well, I think that's really important too, you know, and, and that social thing, like make some friends out of it. At the end of the day, if they can finish the end of the season and go, I had a lot of fun this year. Fantastic. I've done my job. Yeah, no, definitely. Some really good points there. And I guess my, my next question is quite relevant to yourself having a having a son. There's a lot, I think it probably happens a lot more on the on the football side of things that kids at a very young young age are specialising in what in one sport. You hear about these, you know, child prodigies. Um, and I think kids, you know, learning AFL are probably on the other side of things more more often than not when they're playing a couple of different sports. And there's a, I know there's a heap, heap of research out there just to show the benefits of, of multi-sports um, and sort of learning skills. You know, you might be playing basketball, but you're still learning skills about decision-making that you can use in footy, for example, or even in soccer or, you know, whatever it is. Um, what's your thoughts on early specialisation for kids? And on the other hand, the sort of mixed sport approach. Oh, I'm massive on, on mixed sport. I'll probably explain my own set of circumstances where I, I, I probably tried a myriad of, of sports growing up. And I've seen a lot of good junior athletes who, who from an early on, and, and it's probably parent push too, obviously, that let's concentrate on one sport and they burnt out. Like, yeah. it's, they've got a lot of things going on with these, these young kids and it's really important that they, they try a variety of sports. And, um, and the key thing is that we want it to be fun for them. Look, I get they, you get some you know, some fantastic young athletes out there, and you, you touched on this a little bit about um, sports evolve. Like many sports, are like a hybrids. Like look at zones in AFL. Like in the old days, it's just like very different. But now they incorporate other sports. You go to coaches at the end of the season. They go and visit NFL teams, and they go visit basketball and learn from each other. And I'm, I'm huge on that. Like in terms of for young kids to try as many sports. And, and you mentioned this before about evolving. You, know, you might play basketball and develop some skills in basketball, which you can use in AFL. Look at, um, if you look at uh, AFL now, you hear stories of Scott Pendlebury, like a, a fantastic junior basketballer. Like yep. it's really just, oh, this person just played football since I was six years old and that's it. It's, it's pretty rare. You always hear stories where, oh, this person was good at this sport and good at this sport as well. So surely down the, surely down the, I get it down the track, you get it where, you, where, um, Players are going to say, you know, I'm going to make a choice here. What do I want to do? Um, like Alex Keith at the, at the Bulldogs is a good example. So he was about 16, 17, highly touted draft pick. He was also um, in the Suns draft in him, I think. That quote, I could be wrong there. Um, but he was a gun cricketer. And he, he picked a pathway of playing cricket. Probably didn't succeed as well as he would have liked at cricket. Played a bit of football for Adelaide and recently came to the Western Bulldogs. So cricket and footy, but probably um, a bit of hand eye and so on. But in terms of um, yeah, basketball, here's some classic stories of people playing basketball and yeah. crossing over to 
AFL classic, well, like you think about the one's contact, one's not, but in terms of just, you know, moving in space and those sort of things you can learn. You obviously can't dribble a bar, uh, you know, you can't say, I'm going to dribble a, um, a football, but it's in terms of, you know, space and um, we spoke about zones as well before. So I'm huge on, on that. And, and uh, um, kids try in as many sports as they want. Let them try it. Who knows? They might find they're more successful in that particular sport. They might love it more. Um, it. Give them the opportunity. I'm not, a, I'm not a big fan of down the track yet, but when they're young, kids should try as many sports as possible rather than try and focus on something. Otherwise, they're at the risk of burning out. Yeah, and I, I couldn't agree couldn't agree more with you. So I guess the next question is kind of, it could be a little bit, a bit controversial, um, sort of switching it back to your role as a, as a PE teacher. I just want to know your thoughts on, at a, at a primary school level, we seem to be really fixated on, on students meeting different, uh, I guess you could call them milestones, to, you know, get the correct technique. You know, we were talking about FMS, um, fundamental movement skills, and we want them to, to reach different, different milestones as they go through the years. What, why do you think we have this, this focus? Because we've also seen on the other hand that there is a lot of research to also sort of show the, I guess, importance of, of students being, being, I guess, exposed to game situations. Um, and then learning those skills through those game situations as well. Yeah, I know, and um, like like a constraints based type approach as well. So um, where they're looking at you know tactics and um, rather than just purely technique. I think fun. Look, don't be wrong. I, I think early on, like say um, early primary, that you know, and PMP programs are fantastic with this too. Is the fundamental moment, moment skills are, are really important at the start. Like they're the basis of, of sport specific skills. So if you can't if you can't um, throw a ball, you're going to obviously struggle to serve a tennis ball, for example. That's probably like a nice, simple example. So as I said, I think the focus is important early on, but I agree that I think there's a, um, I think later on in, in the primary years, it's important to develop different um, sport-specific skills, you know, building, building on those fundamental movement skills um, and trying to, we spoke on this a little bit before, but trying it in a variety of sports as well. You know, it's always have to be traditional sports. Like, you know, you love your soccer, Christian, I love my AFL, but there's a, there's a variety of other sports that, that um, students have, don't have the opportunity to, to try. And I get that sometimes space comes into it, funding as well, even in terms of knowledge of the, of the PE teacher. But um, having students try a variety of sports, and I do agree that, um, you know, and playing small games, that's when they have fun. Like I said that before with my coaching, if I just did skills, drills all the time and said, Oh, let's just stand there and work on their handball and get it 100% correct. They'd be bored out of their brains in 10 minutes. So you can still do that, but then bring it into a, a, a um, constraints-based approach where they're going to think about, oh, that person's coming this way, I'll handball on my right, or I'll, I'll go the other way, handball on my left. So um, fundamental movement skills are really important at the start, I think, um, a primary, but... Um, and again, without them, you wouldn't be able to succeed with these sports-specific skills, but then... Later in primary, I think the sport-specific skills, concentrating on that side of things, is, is probably important. That's just yeah. um, that's just my opinion on it. Yeah, it's a, I guess it's a it's a tough one. Um, you can you can sort of see both both sides of both sides of it. Um, however, there's also I guess those those stories of athletes that have you know got to the top of their sports, doing skills in a different way than than we're used to it, and that's why they're successful because they're different. Um, and I, I guess it it's sort of a 
I guess it's a discussion that, that could be, you know, could be never ending because, you know, we, there are also a lot of examples of athletes who do perform the skills uh, with the correct technique and they are successful. But I think the other side that's often forgotten is that you don't necessarily need to use that specific technique to be successful in a game as well. So I think that, that's all the other side of things. Um, what, what are your thoughts on that anyway? Oh, like in terms of like there's too much emphasis on technique. Like I'd probably say, look at probably the best batsman in the world at the moment, Steve Smith. His technique is, is not textbook. Like it's, it's that far, um, like it's, it's weird, but guess what? It works. And that's half the battle. Like compare him to say like the greatest batsman ever, Don Bradman, um, like really textbook. And that's, I guess it's a little bit old school. So we're old school type coaching where it's all about instruction, getting the technique right, you know, really like rote learning, not keep doing the same thing. Whereas Steve Smith, he can be further, you know, further from the textbook in that regard. Um, I think you look at golf swings, like, no, like some, some golf players have like perfect swings, doesn't make them the best golfers in the world. There's other, there's other factors that make a, a good golf swing. Sure, it's all about being consistent and making contact with the ball and, and hitting in the right direction, don't get me wrong, but there's some, there's some weird golf swings out there. But if they work, all means use them. I, that's the way I see it. Like if the old, um, if it ain't broke, why fix it? And that's the way I said. Like, sure, if it doesn't work and you can refine techniques, sure. But work with what's there. I think that's what um, people, I think that's probably the best bet. But biomechanics being huge in, in, in um, sport these days. Um, you know, biomechanics is probably would be all over about, let's try and emulate what previous champions did, but it doesn't always work that way. Sometimes yeah. that, um, you know, there's a, you know, there's a variety of, of, of different um, factors. Like, yeah. I know I'm talking about golf at the moment, but like Tiger Woods, like he's, um, he swings very different to other players, but then he's, he's, his muscles are very elastic, whereas he can actually get a, a much greater range of movement. Probably not so, so much now because he had back issues and he's, mm. he's developed his swing again. So um, I guess where golf's like really technique based, that's probably another bad, uh, bad, bad I guess, yeah. example where, mm -hmm. You can see that you know not one that's not one one swing fits all or one technique fits all. And I think that's the same through a variety of sports. Probably another yeah. one I always think about is Michael Johnson. Probably showing my age here, but Michael Johnson is probably a he was a world record holder in the four hundred meters. Like people would say, when you run, when you sprint, you lean forward. He used to lean back. It was like his legs were too quick for his body. <laughs> like like a, a sprints coach would go, that's horrible. But guess what? He was a gun. Like he was he couldn't be beaten in the four hundred. Even 200, I think he was pretty sharp, but 400 metres, he, he was a gun. So, like, you might refine a couple of things, but then he wouldn't say, all right, let's stop here, let's start again, because it, it works for him. Yeah, yeah. I guess um, and I, I, I tend to think that, you know, a lot of a lot of P professionals would sort of agree with with a lot of things that, that we're talking about. And even though they they do agree that we still have, you know, a lot of, a lot of, data on on kids reaching those milestones going back to back to that point do you think that maybe one reason for that sort of continual going back to the technique is because it's just simply easier to assess on um, yeah, so, it's easy to report on yeah. it is so you've got there you go let's look at this you do this 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 well not this one so it's all about sitting up rubrics whereas if someone's got a like what do you is it about like kicking a football they do everything right but it's no good if the ball goes a mile over the, their teammate's head and the other team gets the ball and bang their off and they kick a goal. 
Like it's, yeah. you've got to put that into perspective too. And that's where you, I guess talk about ta- tactics as well. Like wh- where are you actually putting the ball? Like, and that's where you, I think what's looking, you maybe spoke about a little bit before, like about constraints-based type coaching rather than, um, I guess where it's the old school, like where it's just pure coach, coach, instruction, instructions, where they, you know, they might set up some um, short side of modified type games before you do this with your coaching and teaching, Christian. Oh, I know you do, but um, well, you're not just developing technique, but you're developing tactics as well. But like the game intelligence side of things, and really they're just trying to find solution that as the game as the game changes or evolves, you know, in a, it'd be nice to stand there and just say, oh, look, don't be, don't be wrong. Look, getting that basic skill set's really important. But then when the, in a game situation, you got like AFL, you got pressure on you. Soccer, you got pressure. You don't just you haven't got like a, a field and you're standing for five minutes. You've got three people running that. You've got a teammate over there. Your teammate over there, but he's covered by... doesn't matter what sport you play, basketball, soccer, AFL. Which, where are you going to pass it? Are you going to put it into space for them? Are you Are going to take it backwards? Um, that person might come across and put a block on for you. There's all these things going through your head, like split second, what are you going to do? So um, I think I, I agree with you that, that I'm probably going off on a bit of a tangent, but the, um, they probably do look at just that's that sort of thing and say, yep, Let's t- let's tick some boxes. It's easy to assess, easy to report on. Yeah, and sometimes it's not the best way that best way to do things. Don't be wrong. There's a t- there's a time and place for it, but um, I'm all for like putting kids in challenging situations um, because that's what happens in game game situations. Yeah, be, uh, game sense. I look at the elite; they do all the time, and even part of their warm up game sense. You know, when you when you're playing a, a game, you're not. I said it before, you're not just standing there and just, you know, kick to kick. It'd be nice, but it doesn't work that way. No, it's Lots it. of and things actually, going around and external, external um, stimuli. Yeah, and I actually, um, speaking of your, your AFL example, I saw a study that showed the amount of time players had while in possession of the ball. And they had a comparison of um, when on game day in, compa- in comparison to their, their training sessions. And it was a- I've seen that study too, I and mean, it's it's a fair it's a it's it's a fair discrepancy between yeah like in think, training like compared to what you do in games. Yeah, and I think from memory it was about one point seven seconds in on game day and and three point two seconds in training. So obviously yeah. that focus would be would be massive um, after seeing the results there. So um, I think there is a lot of data out there, and I think I think everyone's trying to push that way. It's just I guess how you yeah. get there. Um, but yeah, yeah it depends too, like. Remember too that you're dealing with people who are like elite in terms of their skill set too. So it's a, and it's it's tough. You know what it's like in a classroom when you get someone little Billy who can kick thirty meters both feet. When you got someone out, a few other people in the classroom who who can't even like miss contact with the ball. So um, and that's the joys of I guess the joys of teaching is being able to work with a variety of students want to be able to push them through. Um, well, let's say, oh, I'll just leave these. The, Billy can kick 30 metres both feet. Let's leave him. We want to be able to extend him, but also work on uh, getting the skills right for the students who are, who are really struggling as well. So and that's, one of the, that's one of the art forms of, of teaching. Yeah, no, that's right. And I guess on that subject of teaching, yeah, I guess this, this is the question of, in your mind, does a, a successful uh, PE program or HP program, whatever whatever the school calls it, what does it look like? What does it include? And I guess just on that, what does it offer? What opportunities does it, should it offer? Do you think? Yeah, I, I think um, if we look at the Australian 
Australian society as a whole, I think, you know, you go to, well, when we were able to get together, you, know, you go to there and people might, you know, bring out a football or uh, we're a very outdoorsy nation. So, um, and a big sporting nation. So going to function, not everyone, I, I know, I, I get it, sports not everyone's thing and I, I understand that. Um, but, you know, you go to most, most I, know, I go to a function, someone might brings out a tennis ball and a bat or they bring out a soccer ball or a footy, whatever it might be, or a bar, someone might have a basketball hoop. People didn't really play and I think it's, it's, it's a really key point of the social side of things. So um, I think just having those, having students, having tried a variety of different games and sports, again, I said before that we don't expect them to excel in all those sports or any of those sports, but just to give them a go and have an understanding of, of how they work. Um, and there's opportunities to play at a very social level as well for some of these sports. Um, I think in terms of a P program, so scope and sequence is probably the foundation or the, the, um, uh, the linchpin of a, a good program um, where you, you, you try to like traditional and non-traditional type games or activities um, that builds on previously learned skills. Some, I've seen some P programs that are really traditionally based type programs, um, whereas um, well, we work together, Christian, you probably agree that there's probably a bit of variety um, across the board with, with our program. We've got the orienteering in there and sure we've got our soccer and AFL and basketball, these traditional type sports, but there's some, some um, I guess, some different activities in there for students, gymnastics, etc. So as I said before, like being able to build, build on previously learned skills. And I think probably the key thing for me is, is that, that um, health related fitness. So students being able to understand the purpose of, you know, um, now, why is it important? Why is it an active lifestyle? You know, not just now, because you know why they 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 have to do it. But then, when they're in their twenties and thirties and forties, understanding the importance of a of a, an active lifestyle. So, obviously, the with our PE sort of things, the curriculum's got to follow the Victorian curriculum, etc. Um, I think the program being fun um, and engaging as possible, um, where students are involved, and there's there's chances for students to have success. Success. And a lot of that's set up really for the by the by the teacher as well, the way they teach and plan their lesson. Um, the so, I guess the, the social aspect of it too. So linking that back into fun, but having you know, having fun with their friends at the same time, whilst learning you know learning some basic skills. Yeah, and and I guess you, you mentioned how we obviously work together, so we're sort of on the same page. Is how the program we've got at the moment has you know a great variety of, of activities, and then you also mentioned you know that that chance for success and I think that variety um, not only gives them that chance for success but it also gives them some really great life skills I mean we've got you know we've got a unit with uh, of sports for people with disabilities I think that's awesome and there's also you know opportunities to we've sort, we've sort of include some cultural games and things like that um, so I think that the other part is is creating that sort of well-rounded um, individual through PA as well. Um, oh most definitely yeah and it and I probably did, we spoke about it at the start that I think that there's a lot of learning experience to be gained from sport and you know, winning and losing that and it, it builds resilience. Yeah, definitely, definitely. I guess the big question is why is PE so important to kids? Yeah, to, if you had to sort of give us a, you know, just a, a quick uh, snapshot of why you think it's important, why you think it's so yeah, important. Yeah, no, sure. Yeah, I guess the word, it's PE, so it's physical education. I think education is the key word there. Um, so, again, it's not about of producing elite athletes and so on. 
that'd be nice, but that's not, that's not the goal. I think we know about the physical activity guidelines and the importance of, of um, physical activity and reducing sedentary behaviour. Students learn about that, I guess, from a, you know, what can they do to, um, not just the theory side of things, but actually put it into practice as well. And as I said before, it's not about educating them for, not just now, but for later on in life. You know, when they have um, busy jobs or when they have um, a family or whatever the case might be, um, you know, they might move to somewhere where access to a gym or that might be, or vice versa, they might have access to more um, opportunities to be physically active. Um, so I think it's it's important that that um, that they they understand um, obviously the the importance of physical activity, but also um, the importance of reducing um, sedentary behaviour. Um, even just things like look at now, obesity levels are probably nearly at an all time high, which then obviously the issues of cardiovascular disease, type two diabetes, certain cancers, exactly, um, etc. So just reducing those sort of things, but. That's why the students need to have an understanding. So it's not just about the, the physical side of things, but they've been educated about it and the health perspective, I think is really, really important too. Yep, no, definitely. We've sort of made it up to, to the, the final question of the night. And I think we've, we've been quite comprehensive and, and covered a lot, of, a lot of different issues. Now, after 13 years of schooling and you know, you've got students have reached 18 years of age, what sort of, what sort of skills are they bringing out to their their sort of you know their life after school, after a, a great peer program, hopefully? Yeah, besides I guess the obviously what I spoke about basic skills and a variety of games, and then um, increased fitness levels. You'd hope um, understanding the importance of physical activity, sedentary behaviour, etc., and hopefully lifelong learners so they can you know, later on in life, where I think it's more important their twenties and so on, where where um, you know you're not I guess uh, made to, I don't like to use that term, but, um, you know, participate. It's more your choice. Do I, do I go, do I sit on the couch, watch that next Netflix episode, or do I go out for a run, whatever it might be. So, um, and making those, making smart decisions, making smart decisions in terms of what, what you're consuming, probably talking more of the health side of things. Um, I'm having a really good understanding of, you know, taking positive risks and, and reducing negative risks through effects of, of alcohol and smoking and, and, um, illegal drugs, the um, mental health sort of things, I think is huge. Um, I know we touched a little bit about, um, I just don't want to make it just about pay, but the health side of things in terms of um, social media, I think social media, um, whilst it has its advantages, it's, it's, it can be quite uh, negative as well and really, really harmful you know, in terms of bullying too. I think trolls online and um, I often say to students that, you know, when I was a student, or you know, even probably yourself, Christian, that people would probably if it happened at school, and then people would go home, and as they sort of felt safe. Whereas, whereas now it's probably worse when they leave school. Like school's not the safe place. You know, people get on their phone, text each other, and you know, and some of that stuff I think is like incredibly careful. They always say you can't say to someone's face, don't don't say it, but it doesn't stop people doing it. Um, so I think just making them you know, confident well-rounded um, young men and women going out into the, I don't want to say the real world, but you know, going out alone a little bit. You know, we don't, can't hold their hand as much as we possibly did, even you know, when they're at uni, whereas you know, lecturers don't say, oh, this is when your assignments do, like you've got to hand it in. Um, a little bit more, I guess, more independent, more well-rounded, confident young men and women. Um, you know, hopefully, 
who are resilient as well and will have some success in life, whether it be um, you know, on the sporting field, at the elite level, recreation, socially, wherever it might be, and can understand obviously the, the fun and importance that comes with, with physical activity. Yeah, definitely. And I think, I think you, you covered everything there. Um, so thanks, thanks for joining us. <laughs> thanks for joining us tonight, Trent. Um, it's been really great just uh, having a chat about, about a few of those, those issues. And I'm sure uh, you are just like all the other teachers out there looking forward to getting back, back to school and um, into a little bit of normality. That'd but, be nice. Yeah, that's it. But thanks for joining us. And um, I'm sure we'll um, catch up soon. Sounds good, Christian. Take care. Thank you. Thank you.